we are going to look at a passage that I actually really, really like. It's out of the book of Matthew, chapter 9. Specifically, we're going to look at Matthew 9, verses 18 through 25. As you're flipping there, uh, while living in South Carolina, there became the opportunity to grasp a word that I absolutely despise. It's the word hopeless. Have you ever had, have you ever heard that word used to you, possibly even said it yourself? In a doctor's office and have a doctor come out and tell you it's hopeless. The best we can do is try to cure pain. To have a loved one tell you it's hopeless. I'm going to the attorney's office. There's probably not another word within the English that has that much devastation associated with it. However, until God says it's over, no matter what a doctor says, no matter what a lawyer says, no matter what anybody else says, it's over. Case in point, there was a lady there by the name of Remy Liggett. You heard that name today in Sunday school for a couple of them. Absolutely love Remy. She was diagnosed in 2012 with inoperable lung cancer. She had never smoked. Her life was a home. Yet, here she was, diagnosed with inoperable lung cancer. The doctors told her to call in your friends and family because you have a matter of months left to live, if that. We can give you all the pain pills you want, but everything else is pretty well hopeless. She was never satisfied with that. The next day, she came to church, and it happened to be a Wednesday night uh, prayer meeting. She told us what the doctor had told us, told her, and we all proceeded to bombard the gates of heaven. It wasn't just one or two of us. It was literally the entire church circled around her and prayed. this inoperable lung cancer had now started to shrink. Came back, told us, we prayed even harder. Two weeks later, she went back, and the doctor stated, it's small enough we can get in there and operate. Instead of trying to schedule an operation or anything that way, he literally just took her straight to the operating room. And they operated. She then had to go through radiation, chemotherapy, everything that way, lost her hair, Never lost her spirit, never lost her smile. Everybody that she got the chance to talk to, she did. And she told them about Jesus. Didn't matter who you were. Well, Remy did eventually pass. July 30th of 2016, she took her final breath and woke up in the arms of her Savior. A couple weeks after her passing, her sons and her husband started looking through all of her belongings to try to figure out what was going to happen. One of the things that they came across was her Bible. In her Bible, there was a bunch of names, and out beside each name was a date. Except for there was this one name that had two dates beside it. They realized and they learned that the date that was out beside each name was the date that she had told them about Jesus and started that conversation the one name that had the two dates 
The second date was the date that that nurse accepted Jesus. They immediately left their house and went to the to find this nurse. As they got there, the nurse was standing there. They all hugged and everything. And Don and her two sons gave that nurse Remy's Bible. What was deemed as hopeless by the gave hope to others. At least to this one nurse gave eternal. If we get absolutely nothing else from today, my prayer, my hope, is that when we leave here, we will know that until God says it's finished, it's not over yet. It doesn't matter what a doctor says. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. Until God says it's finished, it's not over yet. With that, let's jump into a scripture here. Uh, like I said, Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 25. Uh, I would invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Today I've got the Holman version. Uh, again, verse 18. As he was telling them these things, suddenly one of the leaders came and knelt before him saying, My daughter is near death, but come and lay your hands on her and she will live. So Jesus and his disciples got up and followed him. Just then a woman who had suffered from bleeding for 12 years approached from behind and touched the tassel of his robe. For she said to herself, if I can just touch his robe. I... But Jesus turned and saw her. Have courage, daughter, he said. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that moment. When Jesus came to the leader's house, he saw the flute players and the crowd lamenting loudly. Leave, he said, because the girl isn't dead, but sleeping. And they started to laugh at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you that you are truly the one that's in charge. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are, that you are in charge. Lord, I pray that you will be with us today, be with this message, Lord. May it go out and touch hearts. May they be changed. May lives be changed. Lord, I just ask that you, your will will be done. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We give you all the glory, for it is in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. You may be saved. All right, the very first thing that we see here, Matthew writes, and as, they were, as he was telling these things, kind of is one of those, what was he telling them? So when we flip back up just a little bit, we see in verses 9 through 12, this is the calling of Matthew, and where the righteous leaders are kind of questioning, why is he doing this? Why is he doing that? And Jesus responds to them, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. For the well don't need a hospital, it's the sick. The very next section, there in 14 through 17, he's being questioned about fasting. Fasting was an Old Testament tradition. They would do it. But it was for the purpose of sorrow and mourning. When somebody had died, when somebody had lost something, they would fast in sorrow and mourning. Jesus' response basically is, there's no need for sorrow and mourning. I'm here. 
the one who will take away all sorrow, all mourning, is here. That's why my disciples don't fast. So then as he's, that kind of catches us up there. But then it says, suddenly one of the leaders came and knelt down before him. This leader is identified over in Mark chapter 5, verse 22, as Jairus. He is a synagogue leader, very wealthy, very well-known, very powerful. He might not have been one of the Pharisees, Sadducees, anything that way, but when he spoke, people jumped. He was well-known, had tons of influence. So here's Jairus coming up, and it says that he knelt before Jesus. The kneeling here would have been, in Mark it says he fell at, his feet, uh, fell at his feet. Doing this would have openly acknowledged Jesus' deity. He literally didn't care who saw. At this point, his sole focus was on his daughter. And he knew, I'm going to somebody that can help. He knelt, he worshipped, he openly acknowledged Jesus' deity, and by kneeling and doing everything that way, he was openly acknowledging that Jesus was the Messiah. Very controversial, especially dealing with the fact that still in that same setting, you've got the Pharisees, you've got the Sadducees. Here is somebody that didn't care who was around him, who was seeing it. He was going to the one source that he knew could handle it. And it says he begged. Not just, will you come? He begged. So Jesus' disciples got up and went. As they're going, it says that a woman who had been afflicted by bleeding for 12 years approached him from behind. And that she simply stated and thought, if I can touch his robe, I will be made well. This is again something. This woman knew who Jesus was. She knew that his claims to his deity. She knew about everything that he had said, everything that the people had said about him. She knew who Jesus was. But yet, she also knew who she was. She had been affected with bleeding for 12 years. She was unclean. Just as a leper would have to sit on the outside of the gates, and if anybody approached them, he would have to basically holler out, unclean, unclean, so that nobody would go over towards him. That's exactly what this lady was. No, she didn't have to yell out, unclean, but she was the black sheep. She literally would just kind of sit over in the corner, and nobody would come around her. She had no human contact. She had absolutely no way of worshiping. She was the outcast of society, at least for those 12 years. In Mark chapter 5, it says that the doctors, she had been to many, many doctors, but that they had only made it worse. They could do nothing for her. She was in desperate need. And out of her desperation, she came up with the idea that if I can just touch his garment, I don't want to call him. I don't want to say, hey, yo, come over here, help me. If I can just sneak up, kind of try to blend in with this crowd, if I can just sneak up and touch, I'll be made well. She knew that if she were to call out to him, 
that the spotlight would again be put on her, put on her affliction, put on the fact that she was unclean, that she was alone, that she was an outcast. Desperate times call for desperate measures, especially for her. But when we look at verse 22, it says, but Jesus turned and saw her. It's an amazing idea. Jesus saw her. He saw not just her condition, not just who she was on the outside. He saw her. He knew about her condition. He knew about everything that was going on. But he saw someone who was desperate for him. Someone who was willing to do whatever she could to get to him. And in turn, Jesus says, Take heart, daughter, for your faith has made you well. Look at the words of affection here. Daughter. He's not just saying you're an outcast. You're somebody who's shunned, somebody who should be over there, somebody who shouldn't even be near me. He's saying, take heart, daughter. It's that words of affection. That's him grabbing her, pulling her in, saying, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care what anybody else does. You have value. You are worth it. You are a daughter. And I love you. He's saying that instead of what everybody else, no matter what everybody else thinks, she had worth. She had a reason to be loved. She wasn't a mistake. She wasn't a problem. She was worthy. She showed value instead of being an outcast. If we just simply stopped right there and didn't even continue on with the rest of it, we could see that no matter what our situation is, no matter how bad we're going on, no matter how bad we're living, no matter how bad things are around us, you have the attention of Jesus. He knows you, and he understands in a way that nobody else will ever be able to understand. And better yet, he's committed as your Lord and Savior to meeting the needs of your heart in the middle of your struggle. No matter what your situation is, no matter what's happening, he's there. And instead of just leaving you as you are, He wants to grab a hold of you, pull you in, draw you in close, and meet your needs exactly where they're at. Not, you have to get fixed, you have to get better. He says, now, how you are, that's how I want you. He'll take care of everything else. But the story doesn't stop there. After healing her, it says that Jesus continued on and went to Jairus' house. As he arrived, it says that you've got the flute players, you've got the mourners. They're preparing for a funeral. In the Jewish mentality, in the Jewish days, with everybody that was gathered there, within a couple of hours, this girl would have been in the tomb. She was dead. So... Let's try to put ourselves in this situation. 
imagine that you've walked in and sitting right here, you've got a coffin. The coffin that's sitting right here. On each side, you've got flowers, you've got pictures, you've got go rest high on the mountain, Beulah land, playing on the speakers. The family has just entered and is just seated. And all of a sudden, somebody comes through that back door and says, go away. She's not dead. She's just asleep. How many of us sitting here with everything that's in front of us would think that person's nuts? That person has absolutely lost their mind. Of course she's dead. That's why there's a coffin. That's why we've got go rest high on the mountain. That's why the family has just come in. That's why the flowers. That's why the pictures. This person is not just dead. This person is, as soon as this is over here, heading to the grave. That's exactly what is happening here at Jairus' house. <clears throat> the friends have gathered. The morning pipes, or the morning flutes, as it says in here, are playing. The only thing that is left is for them to carry the coffin to the tomb. And yet Jesus enters and tells them to leave because the girl is not dead. She's asleep. The word says that everyone laughs. I'd probably have laughed too because we know what somebody that's dead looks like. But here's the cool thing. So did Jesus. Jesus knew that she was dead. But he also knew that it was time for him to make something happen. Nothing is permanent until Jesus says it is. Jesus sent this crowd outside. Then he walks over, reaches down, grabs her by the hand. According to the Levitical law, he is now unclean. Because to touch a dead body, you would be unclean for that day, for the rest of that day, for the night. Then you would have to have a special bath, and then you would have to present yourself to be shown as being clean. For him to reach down and touch her, he is now unclean. But then it says, she got up. So unclean, completely clean, because she's not dead. She got up and walked with him outside. Literally, a matter of hours, she's in the tomb, and now she's walking. <clears throat> Jesus, no matter what the situation is, until he says it's over, it's not over. He has authority over everything. We can read in the book of John, demons listened to him. Demons begged him, send us into the pigs over there and let us live that way. Instead of casting us out, demons listened to him. Diseases vanish. Some statistics have stated during the time in which Jesus was alive in the city or in the surrounding areas there of Galilee and Judea, that basically diseases had been completely eradicated in that area where Jesus lived because he spoke, they listened. Natural disasters stop. Think of when he walked on the water. The boats, or even when he was sleeping and the boat was about to be completely capsized, and he gets up and just with a word, completely calms the storm. 
calms the waves. Authority over death. This girl, better yet, his own death. Within a couple chapters after Jesus brings back Jairus' daughter, Jesus goes into the tomb. Three days later, the tomb's empty. No matter what the ailment or the problem, Jesus has the last word. Cancer doesn't. Parkinson's doesn't. HIV AIDS doesn't. Alzheimer's, tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, droughts, famines, demons, death itself. Until Jesus says, it's finished, it's not finished. In this passage here, we're dealing with bleeding and with death. There was a Canadian scientist who, at the time that he began his search, was an atheist. His name was G.B. Harding. He said, when I looked at religion, I said, I have two questions. One, has anybody ever conquered death? And two, if they did, did they make a way for me to conquer it as well? I checked the tomb of Buddha, and it was occupied. I checked the tomb of Confucius, occupied. I checked the tomb of Muhammad, and it was occupied. And I came to the tomb, and it was empty. And so I asked, there, and so I said, there's one who's conquered death. Did he make a way for me to do it? He says, I opened the Bible, and I discovered that he said, because I live, you shall live also. Death is always temporary when it comes to Jesus. The doctors told Remy that she had months to live. Instead, she lasted for about another four years. And in that time, instead of going quietly to the grave and just accepting fate for what it was, she turned to the one, the only one, who has ever defeated the grave, who has ever defeated death. Yeah, she did ultimately succumb to death, but not before telling everyone that she met and everyone that she came in contact with about Jesus and his power and how he is able to completely change your life. And at least for one nurse, when she finally meets, or when she finally comes to that day, and she meets her maker, it won't be in a sad sense. The Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. For those who believe, it will be Jesus is Lord. For those who don't, it'll be Jesus is Lord. As I stated at the beginning, if you get absolutely nothing else from today, please, please, please do not walk out of here without knowing, without having that unconquerable knowledge that until God says it's finished, it's not over yet.